Welcome to Service Headline News. I'm your host, Marty Smith, and I'm joined by Eric Perrot. Hello. And Jake Wall. <laughs> How you doing? And we're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So sit back, get informed, and have a laugh at the Swearing In Podcast presents Service Headline News. That enthusiasm was... Overloading my microphone right there. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. That's. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Well, let's kick it off. What do you got in uh, history today, Eric? Guys, I've got a good one. Um, Long ago, in fact, 1873, not that long ago, but 1873, um, there was. Long ago. Well, you know, 1873 is not as far as like back to the Revolutionary War or something, but. This was a battle um, that took place back in 1873, um, and it was part of the MODOC, M-O-D-O-C, war, which was part of the Indian Wars with the U.S. military. Um, Between the years, let's see, 1872 and 1873, so a year long, there was a a lot of fighting. Uh, But I'm focused on one specific battle that took place and started on today's date. January 17th, 1873. Um, It was called the First Battle of the Stronghold. The Stronghold was a place located in northeastern California in the lava beds. Yeah, in the lava beds along the north shore of the Thule Lake in northeastern California. So You You never hear anything that far out west. No, especially... Um, the reservation that they were supposed to remain on was the Kalamath Reservation, which was in Oregon. So oh, the exactly. army was responding yeah. to them moving. Um, and they took up a position in a natural fortress, which was called Captain Jack's Stronghold. And that's what they, <laughs> that's what they named this Indian um, who was the leader. So on the morning of January 17th. Wait, wait, what uh do you get to what the tribe was, or did you say the tribe? I did. It was it's the Modoc. Oh, the Modoc tribe? Yeah, part of the Modoc Wars. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. I didn't realize that was the tribe name. Yep. And it was a it, the result was a decisive Modoc victory, by the way. But before I start, I want to get that out. <laughs> oh, spoiler on the, alert. On the morning of January 17th. 1873, troops advanced on the stronghold, hindered by fog. The soldiers never saw any Modoc approaching. Occupying excellent positions, the Modoc repulsed troops advancing from the west and the east, and a general retreat of troops was ordered at the end of the day. In the attack, the U.S. Army lost 35 men killed, five officers, and 20 enlisted men wounded. Captain Jack's band of Indians included approximately 150 Modoc, including women and children. Of that number, there were only 52 warriors. The Modoc suffered no casualties in the fighting as they had the advantage of terrain and local local knowledge over the militia. And it kept them at bay for four days. Did they say how many uh, U.S. troops there were? The U.S. Army force in the field consisted of about 400 men, commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Frank Wheaton. Oh, yeah, that's like that's a battalion size. 
So these guys approached, and apparently this it's a lava bed on the shore of this lake. So a lot of rocky terrain, a lot of areas to hide, and they took up positions and just whacked these guys as they came in, and they retreated after four days uh, with a de- de- divisive, a decisive win for the Modoc. And it was one of the first early battles of the Indian Wars where the army lost. Have you ever been out on a lava bed? Yes. Have you ever walked on lava? I've no, seen lava. Have well, I mean, not, not, uh, uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, like hardened lava, yeah. lava rock. Yeah, <laughs> it's nobody walks on lava. Um, but we had to go in the middle in order to shoot artillery in Hawaii for the full, you know, to, to get their full range, you had to go up on the big island between the two volcanoes and they had a training area up there and that training area was all lava rock. So there was, you know, there was no digging in or anything like that, but man, after like a week of being out there, your boots were just trashed. Um, Yeah. It's just all sharp, hard rock. There's nothing to it and red dust everywhere. So uh, I, I guess these guys, uh, trying to attack them up they couldn't dig in if they were on no. lava rock right no but it was nope. it was really really rocky terrain and what helped it's, them out was the weather the fog because that um made the artillery of the uh army in a depth they couldn't they couldn't see oh yeah anything. yeah so no artillery support for them and they got whacked captain jack's stronghold is part of uh the lava bed national monument up there in california there you go named after him yep Captain Jack. Wow. He's an ugly fella, too. I've seen a picture of him. He's not the uh, uh, kind of gender-neutral Johnny Depp pirate figure that was played <laughs> in the pirate movies. It wasn't no. that Captain, Captain Jack. Yeah, This one's a pretty hardcore Captain Jack, evidently. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. The colonel well, said I mean, he moved of his command he, and replaced. He fought off a ton of uh, army infantry yep. with him and his tribe with him. So, yeah, 400 guys. My God. Did they, did it say they, did they, did we eventually take that stronghold? Yeah, it's a U.S. national park now. Well, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, we took it over in 1960. They finally let we it got go. him. You know, no, I don't. I don't believe they did. I think um, in the aftermath, defeat of the army at the first battle of the stronghold strengthened the Modoc position, and the United States began peace negotiation oh. from a position of weakness. The Modoc also gained confidence in their ability to defend their position against a superior force. Huh. So I do not believe they ever took it. Modoc owned it, uh, and I found the strength. The army had three hundred infantry, a hundred cavalry, and two howitzers. The cavalry. Yeah, that's that's the battalion. Howitzer. That's battalion strength right there. Definitely. Cavalry and howitzers uh, had no bearing. They couldn't. The horses couldn't come through the lava fields. Yeah. Um, weather prevented the use of the howitzers. Oh shit! Yeah, they they had a time perfect. So <clears throat> all that stuff's pretty cool. Pretty interesting. Good choice, Eric. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Okay. The Navy is using solar-powered drone boats 
as scouts in the Persian Gulf. So from January 6th through the 9th in the Persian Gulf, the U.S. Navy conducted an exercise in which two sailed drone robotic boats communicated with the USS Delbert D. Black, a destroyer. The exercise used robots, AI, and a crewed ship to scout the environment around them. Now, sail drones are small boats, just 23 foot long, and they rise about 16 feet above the surface. They have a sail. Uh, they have solar panels to power its electronic systems and charges batteries. And a sail drone right now exists as a tool for passively monitoring the sea. So they're controlled by the, you know, by the big ship and they're just out there kind of tooling around, seeing what they can see. Hmm. Um, so they transmit uh, mostly images right now, at least what this, what the article says. Uh, what They probably do more, but the article didn't talk about that. Uh, but they transmit images uh, back to the, back to the ship. And they also transmit it uh, back to a, like a place on land if they want to, a headquarters on land. And they can track all the information that this boat sees. And they showed a, they showed a, a picture of like the display. It looks like a big widescreen. Then you can see like the, the dash lines of where the drone is. Um, and you can see everything that it's seeing. Or, I mean, you could, they can do it either by real time imagery or they can do it by like icons, you know? And the cool thing about it is they, you know, it's, it's not like a radar that passes and then, you know, you got to wait for the next pass. They, they track it where it's been. So you can see its path and you can see the things that they've been tracking and what they've been, what they've been doing. So this is just to enhance more eyes out there in the sea. Um, Marty, also, in your description, you talked about an AI. There's an artificial intelligence. Yeah, they didn't really explain that. It just said it. So I, I, I think that AI is on the ship. Okay. That it so we don't have like a Megan doll out there running around, right? <laughs> well, n- nothing that they're going to say unclassified. Yeah. Right. Right. And it was funny. This article, like three spots in this article, go. It's just an observer, a passive observer. And I was like, I got that from the first time you said it. Why are you saying it two more times? Probably because they're like, oh, this thing, all it does, it's just a TV camera out there. That's it. Put a <laughs> torpedo on that thing and run it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you know, the you can see where this is going to advance. So uh, it can go, let's see, it tracked two of these things. They they just had a normal uh uh cargo hauler out there and they tracked this cargo vessel for twenty-three miles over two hours and thirty-eight minutes. So uh not wow. only can it just see something, but they can set it. Uh I don't know, I don't think it's very fast. Mm. You know, I don't think it's really that powered. I, I read one article, but it was like a year old where they can only go like three knots. So that no. doesn't seem fast at all. So I don't know what they're doing, but maybe they've improved it. I would hope they improved. It's got to go faster than that if it's going to do anything, right? Yeah, but those, cargo, those cargo ships move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that in uh, Castaway. Man, he almost got ran over by that thing. That thing was fast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
But I mean, imagine if you're like a destroyer cruiser, whatever they have now, and you've got four of these things way out in front of you. That's that's got to make the submarine's job even that much tougher, right? Oh, Assuming yeah. that it's going to have some kind of oh, sonar yeah. ability on it, but hmm. I don't know. So they're experimenting with it. They had a successful test. Uh, so maybe more to come, or maybe this just goes into the black hole because we don't want to let everybody know what capabilities are. Well, there's there's got to be a lot of potential with that thing to do. You know what I mean? When we talk oh, about the drone, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, probably amazing. I mean. The call for, um, haven't they made a call out for like anybody enlisted or officer can sign up for like drone pilot training? I thought I saw yeah. that enlisted can do that too now, right? Uh, one of my friends just got, well, he got commissioned and he's, he's one now. He's a drone pilot. Yep. Um, actually they have, they have a whole training facility down in Pueblo. Really? Um, I, it blows my mind that they fly those things from the States. All the, you know, they bounce that signal all the way over to the Middle East. That's crazy. I would think that they would have those guys at least on the ground, but I guess there's no need to, right? Hmm. Yeah. Once it's up there, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Once it's up in orbiting. Um, so. so I, you know, I'm sure these sailed drones have some limitations, but, uh, I brought that up about the Air Force doing that, and it's just you know, hey, we got Eric and I. We did a we did a story on robots, yeah, right, for the yep. Army, and now they got it for the Navy. So, who knows? Maybe this Space Force, you know, we, we were talking about that last week about these guys being out of shape and all that video gaming and all that stuff. That was maybe you got a whole battalion of yep. just robotic drivers. Yeah, I mean you've you got to figure we're going to head that way. If we can reduce the human body count, yeah. Just, I mean, yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? Um, but I would also think your bad guy is going to have the same opportunity. So where do you ever make gains in a in a conflict? Well, I I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah. Are they or are are they not? You know, I mean it's. Uh, hell, we're having a hell of a time with drones. It makes me think of the uh, the first Iron Man movie where they were trying to figure out all those suits and those guys are getting blown up in them. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm sure countries are trying to develop it, but uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, because it's like, oh, we got five of their drones, they got ten of ours. Exactly. All we right, win. who wins? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, we'll have to ask our kids about that, I suppose. Very cool, though. Uh, okay, here's one for potential vets. Uh, at least they're trying to. But it sounds, the more I read this article, the more complicated it sounds. But the headline is, Blast Exposure History Could Soon Be Part of U.S. Troops Medical Records. So remember when we talked about those mini TBIs that the Army got? Yeah. Um, well, this is dealing with that. But they're they're explicitly focusing on blast exposure. Uh, a five pronged Defense Department study involving more than six hundred soldiers and Marines as human test subjects is inch, inching the department closer to fulfilling a congressional mandate to include blast exposure. 
from training and combat operations in a service member's medical record. Now, that all sounds fine and good, but listen more on how they're trying to do this and the, and the problems they're, they're getting. The study, which began in 2018, found that even firing weapons repeatedly in conventional stateside training could produce symptoms of traumatic brain injury. And while monster blasters, I have you ever heard of this weapon? Like the Carl Gustav recoilless rifle. I've never even heard of that weapon. I guess that's what we use now. We have. I bet you we that's spelled those. with a K. No, so it's with, <laughs> this it's is with a, It's not with a K. It's with a C. Uh, you okay. know, but they named it Carl Gustav. And I was like, huh. yeah. Hey, it's did you guys out. happen to see the news today about the TSA finding someone who was trying to check the exact weapon you just talked about, a recoilless rifle, in his no. check baggage? Really. No. In the TSA today. <laughs> Where was this at? Where'd they catch him at? I forgot the name Dude, of the airport. Let me. Uh, I like. Have you seen a picture of this thing? Yeah, uh, it's in, I, it looks like it's in a yeah, green. It's, <laughs> it's like a freaking. Uh, it's not a. I don't know. That's not what I was anticipating when I heard rifle. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a souped-up bazooka, man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Do that thing. That's badass looking. And I why that I will have to I'll have to find that out for next time, but why they call it the Carl Gustav. So here it is. The TSA finds an 84 millimeter weapon in a check bag <laughs> at San Antonio International Airport today. Huh. Texas. So, and they've actually got a picture of the weapon, and it looks like it's straight out of a military case. Really? It's a recoilless rifle. Damn, I believe this check bag. You described that. I was thinking, damn, it's got to be the same one. What was TSA's problem with that? It didn't have a trigger lock? (laughs) (laughs) Sir, you're going to have to lock this trigger. Where's your paperwork, sir? It's an undeclared 84 millimeter caliber weapon, recoilless rifle. How do you wow. get a hold of one of those? Yeah, exactly. Just, just to try to check it into the TSA. I don't know. What do you, were you down at the pawn shop? You're like, hey, I want to pick up a P38 for my little niece, you know, so she can see what we used to open it. Hey, look at that, a recoilless rifle. How much is that? I haven't <laughs> shot one of those for a good five, six years. I'll send that over to my son for Christmas. While monster blasters like the Carl Gustav recoilless rifle top the list of weapons most capable of creating harmful blast overpressure effects, even sniper rifles could do damage over time, officials said. An academic paper published in January 2022 found that up to 22% of troops from recent conflicts suffered from MTBIs, mild traumatic brain injuries, and the most prevalent cause was long-term exposure to explosive weapons. Okay, makes sense. Um, The problem they're having is how to quantify the blast effects and put them into a service record. Uh, This guy, Gil Cisneros, the Undersecretary of Defense for Personal and Readiness, said there has not been any surveillance or documentation of brain exposure to blast overpressure due to limitations in the ability to measure and characterize the hazard of such exposures. In 2021, 383 soldiers with the 101st Airborne Division participated in a pilot study. Uh, they wore small blast gauges 
during heavy munitions firing operations that track both blast overpressure exposure and efforts over the course of a single day and longitudinally during three to four months of normal training. Uh, Another study involved 200 troops at Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center 29 Palms with the same gauges. So they're trying to use these gauges to associate this activity was X on this gauge um, to try to get a number to it. I don't know how else you're going to get it in the record, right? Uh, It's got to be quantifiable. It's got to be quantifiable so we can give you a percentage of your life. (laughs) We're all working for 200%. Yep. Uh, Navy Captain Scott Coda, Division Chief at the Pentagon's Traumatic Brain Injury Center of Excellence, which is funny that they stuck excellence on there, right? That's that's what I was just giggling about. (laughs) The Brain Injury Center of Excellence. Excellent. Do it the best. We hurt your brain the best. (laughs) (laughs) Said the task was more complicated than it sounded. Researchers needed to record data points, including how close an individual was to a weapon, their firing position, the weather and location of the shoot, and any previous exposures that might exacerbate blast effects. A recently published DOD-wide memo announced the finding that blast pressures as low as four pounds per square inch could affect the mental functioning of service members, resulting in mild reported symptoms such as brain fog. Hmm. Uh, While it's not yet clear when the DOD will be ready to meet the mandate to include blast overpressure events in a service member's medical history, the Warfighter Brain Health Initiative will continue over the next four years to implement 53 recommendations intended to protect troops' brains throughout their careers. So there was a whole lot. uh, The second part of this article was about mitigation efforts. So, And they were worried about instructors. Like take a hand grenade instructor. You know, he's he's there all day. Getting blast (laughs) after blast after blast, right? Unless I've gotten older, my brain fog has gotten worse <laughs> well uh yeah i mean you i, I couldn't come up with anything right there it was that's an edit. <laughs> it's brain fog <laughs> that's a perfect example of it yeah i was Sorry, artillery guy. i got a lot of brain fog so uh but yeah i don't know how they how they're ever going to quantify that and and stick a percentage on that i don't know I mean, it's good that they're considering it, but uh, I I remember going to the guy who did my initial VA physical, yeah, and you know it was so like, hey, pick up that pencil off the floor. Do you have any back pain? I was like, yes. Oh, okay. Hey, you got my ass <laughs> <some> problems. It's <laughs> like really, that's it. Oh, <laughs> but. You know, most of it was uh, what would it, whatever was captured in the record, right? That was most of it. But then that guy was just like ticking off things, and he goes, "Okay, we'll make an assessment, and we'll we'll talk to you in a year, or however long it took. It took for fucking ever." But yeah, a long time. Now you add something like this on there. That's you know, it's got to be. You, they're going to have to be able to measure that before you get out and have that in your record somehow. But then how, how do you put a, I don't know how you put a percentage on there. Yeah. 
But anyway, at least they're working on it. There's going to so, be a center of excellence. Center of excellence for brain injury. And determining your percentage. <laughs> yeah. All right, fellas. Since it's that time of the year in the NFL, NBA, and NHL to choose their all-star teams, I thought we could do the same with a all-star military team. Oh, very nice. So, so this team will include... This team, we'll put this team together over the following weeks, right? It's not just, we'll just do one thing every show. Um, it'll include both equipment and units. Eric brought up, uh, pistol. And I was like, well, that's a good one because yeah. we've changed pistols quite a bit, right? <laughs> anyway, I thought that tonight we'd, we'd start with battleships. Nice. Um, each of us will make a case for a particular battleship and then we'll choose the all pro selection. All right, first up, Jake, what's your choice for Battleship All-Pro? I got to nominate the USS Iowa. So the USS Iowa, yep, they entered World War II, 1943, uh, operating in the Atlantic, um, carrying, well, initially carrying President Roosevelt to North Africa, later heading to the Pacific, where it assisted in a number of landings and helping the Alabama, the USS Alabama, shell uh, multiple islands, um, including Tokyo. Nice. And then the Iowa was reactivated in uh, for the Korean War and then the Persian Gulf. And huh. during the Gulf War, the Iowa carried out a number of Tomahawk and Harpoon missiles and escorted Kuwaiti oil tankers back out of the Gulf into the Persian, into the international waters. Damn. So it fought in both the Atlantic and the Pacific. Yep. But so World War II, Korean War, and Persian Gulf War. She's still active, yep. Jake? <laughs> is, is she still active? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's not an article, man. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a that was a shit move. the bus. <laughs> Marty just says read the fucking article. And you're like, how many people does it carry? <laughs> how many retrofits have it gone on? Fuck, man. I thought you might have had the wiki patch up. I didn't know. I'm sorry. You can have your revenge here in just a couple ships, Jake. And Jake is a vengeful son of a bitch, too. (laughs) Uh, I honestly don't know, Eric. But it it has... Jake, just out of curiosity, what are the awards that the USS Iowa earned? Marty, I'm so glad you asked. The Iowa earned actually <laughs> like nine battle stars in World War II service, uh, two for Korea service. So, and then well, multiple other liberation awards, Navy Meritorious Unit with commendation with star. Yeah, I think that's a worthy. But, I think that's a worthy nomination for all pro battleship. But. <laughs> I have a All better right. one. My nomination is the USS Missouri. Big Mo. The mighty big Mo. Mo, the mighty Mo, the one that 
Cher rubbed her crotch all over the mighty guns of the Missis- of the Missouri. That's plus two vote points. That right is there. right. That's right. I may have to jump on that ship too. <laughs> the the USS Missouri was the last American battleship to be commissioned and the last one to be decommissioned. Serving from 1944 to 1992, Mighty Mo bombarded Japanese positions at Iwo Jima, Okinawa, and the Japanese mainland. As a flagship of the Third Fleet in 1945, the ship played host to the Japanese surrender ceremony that marked the end of World War II. Iowa didn't do any of that stuff. No, fine. Uh, did some of that stuff. You're basically uh, just a stage. Okay, fair enough. Cher approved it. <laughs> in her later years of service, Missouri attacked enemy positions in the Korean War and was part of the fake landing of amphibious forces on the Iraqi coast in Desert Storm. I didn't know we did a fake landing. Nor did I. Oh, we have to look that up. Yeah, that was the old juke right move. <laughs> the old ju- juke in the desert. Well, how did I forget? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in her later years of service, the Missouri attacked enemy positions in the Korean War and was part of the fake landing of amphibious forces on the Iraqi coast in Desert Storm. After its final decommissioning in 1992, the USS Missouri was converted into the Battleship Missouri Memorial in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Its awards, I know you're wondering. So the Iowa had nine battle stars for World War II service and two for Korea. Hmm. The Missouri received only three battle stars for her service in World War II, but five for her service during the Korea War and three more for her service during the Gulf War. I think that beats the Iowa. Missouri also (laughs) received numerous awards for her service in World War II, Korea, and the Persian Gulf. So we've got, let's see, three, eight. Uh, we got 11 battle stars for the Missouri. What do you got for the Iowa? Oh, I only have uh, nine. I'm sorry. Are you still, but, are you, what are you following? Are you, you still there? Yeah. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, we can hear I was, you. You're not I was saying re- anything. <laughs> yeah, but I was reading about the freaking... Navy E-Ribbon for battle efficiency. <laughs> trying to beat you in some fucking thing, man. Looks like you got you got 11 battle stars for the Iowa. I got Miss- nine for the Iowa. No, you got 11. You got yeah, two for Korea. Nine for World War II. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, my bad, my bad. You got 11. Don't know your, ba- know your own battleship. I just got familiar with this 10 minutes ago. <laughs> really? You, it seems like you've been doing it for uh, a good nine, nine and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So we're tied. We got we got a total of eleven battle stars for both boats. Gentlemen, Can you beat that, Eric. Gentlemen, really good choices. The two you came up with, really good choices. However, out of all the Iowa-based battleships. You you must have forgot about the USS New Jersey. The New Jersey? The New Jersey. The New Jersey. The Garden State. First served in World War II, (laughs) striking targets across the Pacific. She went into reserve status after the war, but was called back up to pound positions in Korea. The New Jersey was placed on reserve status again in 57, but returned to active service in 1968 
providing artillery support to forces in the Vietnam War. After another period of deactivation, the Jersey was upgraded in 1982 with Chris cruise missiles and supported American operations in the Lebanese War from 1983 to 1984. Wow. So a lot of service, a lot of time. Her awards, gentlemen, and I do believe I have you beat, the New Jersey <laughs> earned nine battle stars for her Oof. World War II service, Oof. four for the Korean Same. War. Wow. Three for the Vietnam War. Three for Vietnam. Yeah, we were busy. And three for action in Lebanon and the Persian Gulf region. They say we were busy. I was on the yeah, ship. Exactly. I was there. It's my jersey. Fair enough. <laughs> Damn. So the jersey was a badass, and I didn't realize how bad she was. She was oh, bad. Shit. 19 battle stars. Yeah. Jeez, man. Killed well. All right, Missouri bows out. <laughs> yep. Corn Belt secedes to the Garden State. But it, you know what? It is interesting that they're called the Iowa-based or the Iowa uh, class. class, you know, battleship. Yeah, it's named after the first one, right? Isn't that how they how they do that in the Navy? Whatever uh, they name the first ship, that's the class of ships that come after it. All right, so the oh, okay. Iowa was the first. Yeah, I think okay. is that like they had the the Enterprise line of car- carriers and the, um, I, I I think that's how it goes. I think they named the uh, the first they named the first ship of that class, and then that class is named after named that class. So I guess the Iowa was the first ship in that class. So it's Iowa class battleships. Hmm. Okay. So I had to set the standard. <laughs> you did, which does give you points. Yeah. But it's yeah. hard to beat 19 battle stars. So, and I, the Iowa was the first battleship built by the Iowa class, and it served as the lead ship of the battleship. She served as the U.S. Navy's capital battleship for two years during World War II. Hmm. It was also part of Franklin D. Roosevelt's Atlantic campaign and also bombed islands to prevent troop landings. Iowa's busy, no doubt. No kidding. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that crew was like, geez, again. A little more points for you, Jake. A little more respect your way. Well, I'm All looking right, up how so... many efficiency medals you have. <laughs> I only, only see a couple. Two. Yeah, I only see. There's only that. two. I got three. Well, they were they were flailing around a lot, but they weren't very efficient. Hell, Missouri yeah. doesn't have any. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they weren't. That's because you're too busy getting danced on and having ceremonies. <laughs> what they're we what we lack events. in efficiency. We made up with ass and share. So yeah, pomp and circumstance. You got to oh, get points to share, man. You just do. All right. Our inaugural all military team starts out with the battleship USS New Jersey. Congrats. Woo! Go, Jersey. All right, all right Jersey. <laughs> Fuck you, you, can have your, you can have your Taylor Ham. And your USS New Jersey. Let's go to the shore. <laughs> Let's go to the shore. <laughs> Good show, fellas. Uh, on behalf of all of us here, I'd like to thank you for listening today. Please like, share, subscribe, and let us know how we did in the comments and how we totally botched any Navy stuff that we talked about. <laughs> and as always, all make sure... <laughs> 
And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more service headline news. Gentlemen, thanks for the week. I'll see you next week. Good night, guys. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good night.